Welcome to another episode of Reformation Roundtable. My name is Joe Stout, and I am pleased to bring you the audio from our discussion night that took place on April 8th. It surrounded two topics. It was a continuation of women in worship and the role that women played during the Lord's Day service. And then we also had a brief discussion on the controversy surrounding the federal vision, which is somewhat unique to the CREC specifically. To begin the talk, we invited Dave Hatcher, the pastor of Trinity Church in Bothell, and the planting church of Christ Covenant Church here in Centralia. We invited Dave Hatcher to come on and speak to us about the practical role that women play during the worship service at Trinity. After our discussion on women in worship, we have a brief discussion on certain nuts and bolts of the church plant uh, regarding location, tax ID numbers, places to send um, one's tithes if they wanted to start tithing to Christ's Covenant Church right now. And then after that, we talk about the federal vision. And the federal vision is something that is unique to a certain extent to CREC churches, although it's certainly not exclusive to CREC churches. It can be incredibly nuanced. It's totally a Reformed discussion. It's totally a Reformed debate, uh, Reformed theology, that is. And it's one of those issues that sometimes the more you study it, the more, um, or I should say, the less sense it makes in terms of where the controversy actually lies. You'll get um, very strong opinions from certain people on what they think the federal vision is. You'll get very different opinions from other people on what they think the federal vision is. I've been aware of the federal vision personally for over 10 years now, and I've yet to come across any of the horror stories that some people out there would like to say about it. I hope my explanation is helpful, but it's anything but complete, and it's anything but the last word on the topic. In fact, the real reason for giving the presentation is simply to give a basic understanding to all of the founding members of Christ Covenant Church as to what Federal Vision Theology is, kind of in a nutshell, and to try to wrap our minds around where some of the controversy lies. Hopefully it's helpful in doing that, and one last thing is that if you would like to join us as a founding member family or a founding member household, um, we are looking for 10 households to join us, and you can find out more information on that if you go to lewiscounty.church and go to the events tab, see what's coming up next. You can go to the contact us page and send me a message, and you can go to the homepage and find all of our past discussions. Hope you're blessed by the audio, and Hope you join us. Okay, I'll open this up in prayer, and then I'll uh, then we'll uh, we'll go ahead and turn it over to you. Gracious God in heaven, thank you that uh, that Dave is willing to to meet with us right on the eve of his own Bible study. We pray that you bless the discussion, um, and I pray, Father, that we would um, yearn to um, to biblically apply everything that you have laid out for us in Scripture. That we would love to do that, and that we would um, that we would shun bias uh, in in all of its various forms. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <laughs> All right, so um, thank you so much, uh, Dave, for joining us. I know you've got uh, Bible study starting at uh, just a few minutes at your at your place there. So, um, would you would you be able to uh, one of the one of the beautiful things that we've had is um, some really good oneness of mind as it relates to women in the worship service. So we're all of the same mind that the offices of elder and deacon um, are exclusive to men. That preaching and teaching need to be exclusive to men. 
And um, so I'd say, you know, like 90%, 95% of, of, the, of the major areas are covered. Um, the, the one thing that practically we're trying to look at is um, when we're having our worship service, is there any kind of corporate or representative role that a woman plays where she would be leading the congregation, whether that would be in prayer or Bible reading or things like that? Um, what, what should we be expecting uh, within, once we actually go live as a mission church? Yeah, thanks. Great question, and not um, not totally an easy, perfect answer to give. Um, but here's here's the general, broad uh, concepts to keep in mind with regard to the Lord's Day Covenant Renewal Worship Service. Now, this is a service that we have to remember that we are not we are not coming up with and saying we're going to do this because we're Christians and we think it'd be really good get together and have a Bible study, which is a great thing to do. Uh, or we're going to get together and have a prayer meeting, which is a great thing to do. Or we're going to get together and have a psalm sing, uh, our fellowship or a feast, or we're going to do some mercy ministries or evangelism. All great things to do. And all things that you can see within the context of the Christian church that men and women together co-labor together to do all kinds of things. In the covenant renewal service, primarily what is happening is that God is speaking to us, and then we, through our uh, through our representatives, are speaking back to Him, um, and and then together corporately with one voice, we are speaking to Him. That's why, um, I mean, you go into more detail, but since you guys all agree, I'm not going to go into a whole bunch of detail. But that's why the minister needs to be a man, and that's why um, when the the prayers for the saints for instance, are being offered up. It ought to be somebody who's in the office that's leading those corporate prayers. Um, or in a lower church tradition, such as ours, and some of you guys might not think of our church as low church, but ours is more low church. We, would, we are um, encouraging the men to sign up and be a part of leading us in corporate prayer. We do that as, as they sit under our authority. Um, and, we, and we do that also hoping to raise them up to be um, comfortable and prepped to uh, possibly preach one day or to you know do any of a number of different things as, as a leader within the church, part of the elders. Um, in Corinthians, it does say that a woman, if she prays, in, and I believe that is in the corporate worship service, she's to pray with her head covered, that she is to uh, offer up these prayers with a sign of authority, it says, a sign of authority, um, that she's under her husband. And there's lots of uh, interpretations about exactly what that sign of authority is. Um, but whatever that sign of authority is, it is clear to everybody in the, in the service that she is only doing that because she's under her husband's authority and for some reason he's not doing it. That's, that's what's really what's going on there. Um, and so I would say that like Deborah becoming the judge at one time, um, it is it's because probably some unusual circumstance has occurred and she's stepping in for him so technically I wouldn't discourage or I wouldn't keep a woman who was in that situation you have to work through the details about what that means of leading a representative time of prayer on behalf of the congregation or doing a scripture reading from the Lord um, to the people kind of a thing um, with the sign of her that she was doing this kind of on behalf of her husband for some reason he's at war or he's in prison or he is unable to attend the service for some reason so she stepped in for him 
Um, but it's very clear to everybody that she's not trying to take or usurp that position. Um, but in general, what I, if we just look at the, the general culture around us, what we need are men leading and taking responsibility for the worship of God and not the women. We have anywhere from 55 to 60% of our population of the church across the country is now women. Um, and that's because we do services basically that um, men, real men, don't really want to be a part of. And women are super comfortable to be a part of because we've made it, we've made so much of church to be just of something that is not encouraging or um, or applying masculine, masculine representative authority, um, taking, taking sacrificial leadership on behalf of the rest of the, of the body. Um, and so uh, we, I, th I think we should be pushing against the culture that way. Now, people will ask me, so then what's the role of women in the, in the church and in the worship service? Well, um, they pray a lot, just like everybody prays a lot. When we recite the Lord's Prayer, when we sing, all of those songs are prayers. I hope to hear them singing loudly with the rest of us. When we recite the creeds, when we um, shout our amens, all of those are prayers and praises and the voices of the women and children, along with all the laymen, are to be heard strongly in a corporate voice um, of praise and prayer and contrition and everything else before the Lord. So there's there's lots of places for women along with everybody to take um, a responsible uh, position in terms of being part of the corporate body before the Lord. But when it comes to somebody offering up prayers, for instance, um, on the, in, in, the, in, uh, in a representative role, so they're praying and all the rest of us are sitting there while they pray, and we're going to add our amen, so they're representing us. Well, everything in Scripture points to men as being those kinds of representative leaders. Um, uh, I mean, I could talk a little bit more about preaching, but that might answer your, at least that's my question with regard to women's roles or women's opportunities in the worship. So I'll open it up to other questions about that. So, so in other words, because as a corporate body, we're saying our amen to whatever's being said up, up, up front, corporately, um, the role of a woman leading us in, in leading us in that would be normally the normative the normative role in scripture would be that of men doing that and it would be more extraordinary for a woman to, to have that role. Yes. Got it. Um, I, I know another thing that has come up, but maybe less so than than in the in the context of corporate prayer, um, and maybe you could just talk a little bit about this would be um, like say for example um, you have in some churches they'll have women lead the singing or women leading the, um, the, the time of, of singing and uh, praise and worship um, what would be what, what would be your response to something with, with a woman uh, holding that role yeah so it depends on what you mean by leading is she is she um, has a she has a really good voice, so she's singing, so that everybody knows what the tune is, because nobody else can carry a tune, uh, you know, in a bucket. Um, or is she actually singing on behalf of the rest of us? So I have women accompanists. Um, we don't have any woman singing up front, because we don't really have anybody singing up front in terms of singing. Um, 
right now because of live stream and everything, there's always right now we always have somebody up front so that people who are watching can hear some singing because we don't have really good mics and stuff for all that. But that's really the reason we stay up there. A lot of times in our worship service, there are there are particular parts of the service where there might be singing going on, but there's nobody up front leading um, because the church knows what to do. When the church doesn't need know, know what to do, then that that person or persons that are up there can be the uh, you know they're they're like a baton in terms of being a leader. They're showing you now, sing now, and here's the note kind of a thing. So I, I don't see that as necessarily some kind of leadership role. Now, if um, and actually there's a church up here north where I know some people have begun to leave the church because it started out with you just had people up front that they had the worship band and everything up front. And now all of a sudden it's it's morphed into some of the women are now, you know, they'll, they'll kind of go into a vamp over their final chords of the last song. And then the woman or different people will start offering praises up to God from the stage and microphones and and all of a sudden now it seems like we are being led in prayer by this woman um, and that kind of thing. And so I think that that's where, you know, all of these things are, you have to understand the principle and then you have to apply the principle into your particular culture and your particular circumstance. I was just down preaching at Santa Cruz, um, a sister church, CREC church in um, in Santa Cruz. And they have never had anybody play the piano, but they've always had people who could play the guitar well. So the songs are led by guitar. Um, they still work through the cantus, and they sing songs from the cantus. So they're, they're trying to do you know good and solid music and lyrics and thinking about the Psalter and all that. Um, but they have regularly had a couple of other vocalists up there because the guitars, guitarists are, tend to not be guys who are singing in the mic very well or whatever. And so they've had a couple other vocalists up there, and sometimes it's a couple of gals, or sometimes it's a gal and a guy, or whatever. Um, and sometimes it's that way because the gal might be singing a part that the gals are going to sing a part to, and so they're helping with that kind of a thing. And sometimes it's just to give, a, you know, because the room gets a fuller sound if you have a bunch of voices that are singing a microphone and helping everybody to sing. So to me, that's different than leading. That's providing musical accompaniment sound that's going to help everybody else sing. That's that's a different thing. Um, if she gets up there and says, "Hey, everybody, you know the song. This song we're going about to sing is because of this, and here's what Jeremiah had to say about it, and here's why we should be singing this today, and let's offer up our praise to God." Now, now there's some leading going on that I'm uncomfortable with. I have a hard time saying that we've stayed within the boundaries of Scripture there. Got it. Okay, that's very, that's very helpful. Um, I'm going to go ahead and open it up to uh, other questions, if other people have questions. Can you, um, can you speak a little bit more, Dave, to uh, what you're meaning by uh, representative? Because when I kind of hear that, and this is certainly not an accusation of any kind. Sure. But when I hear that, I hear, uh, I hear a, and you use the word layman, I hear that we have clergy and laymen, and then I kind of, again, not accusation, but I get the Catholic vibe, you know, or it's like, yeah. oh, well, because yeah. we're, we're not father, because we are, re we're definitely not representing as, uh, we, are, we are certainly not saying that we are, yeah, so can you just kind of explain that a little bit more yeah. so that I can, I can feel comfortable with that? <laughs> Good, so, yeah, so the first thing I would say is we're not mediators, so ministers of the gospel, let's just, let's take it all the way up to the pastor, okay? 
ministers are not mediators. They're not priests. They're not in between you and Jesus and in between Jesus and you. But when I open up the word of God and I preach, Romans 10 says, you are to hear, you are to hear the voice of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean I'm speaking infallibly, and it doesn't mean, um, but what it does mean is you are directly hearing from the Lord, and the spirit inside of you, the spirit working in you, is to confirm what I'm saying with you with one eye on the text, double-checking to make sure that what I'm saying is true. But you are to hear Jesus. When we, when I offer up a prayer um, as a minister, you could do prayers a couple of different ways. I could hand out prayers to everybody. Um, and we could all say the same prayer all together, which isn't inappropriate. Um, we could we could just say, everybody pray right now to God, and it would be this cacophony of weirdness, everybody saying different things at the same time, which actually, traditionally, has happened in churches. Um, the early pilgrims that came over to America, some of, the, some of what they did with a real low church government view was they would say, now we're going to sing to the Lord, and everybody would sing whatever they wanted to sing. Because we weren't going to have anybody representing us in any way, leading us in any way. It's all me and Jesus. So you can see there's these ditches on both sides of the road. Representative um, leadership, covenant headship kinds of ideas are all throughout the scripture. Um, this is why... Um, this is why we don't serve communion in our, in our homes without a, a, a minister there, because the keys of the kingdom, baptism and the Lord's Supper, representing those keys, are given to the and, and are to be distributed by the ministers, the elders of the church, who've been ordained by God through his church to administer those to the rest of the people. Well, along with that, it's kind of like word and sacrament. Word and sacrament are ministered, are given, are served to the people through the, through the ministers. Um, and again, it's, it's really carefully connected to if you understand the Lord's Day worship service. So right now I could ask you or your wife to close us in prayer, completely appropriate. I could ask you or your wife to open up to 1 Corinthians 14 and read that passage of scripture right now, completely appropriate in my, in my view, um, in my interpretation of it. But in that, in that, covenant renewal service that lord's day service there is a particular summons and call that god has given and the reason you hear it is because the minister called you um i call you in the, the beginning of that service by saying uh, grace mercy and peace be with you from god the father son and holy spirit well how how dare i say that how do i know that god the father is sending you grace mercy and peace because he told me and ordained me to go and do that on the lord's day in the covenant renewal service of God's people. And then you, as a congregation, all say, and also with you, 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 you give it back to the minister as well. Um, and, and so this, this conversation between God and his people takes place, like you see God and his people talking uh, in, uh, for instance, on the, on the mountains in, in, uh, when, they, when they go into the land, where, where there's this antiphony, um, this back and forth between God and his people speaking. Um, and who's to represent God? Um, that's why some in the, in the CREC church, um, actually, they will wear, wear robes. The minister will wear robes. He's not wearing robes because he'd like to be, uh, he wants to be super formal. I'm all about being super formal. That's not why they're wearing robes. I don't wear a robe, and I have reasons for it, 
But they're wearing robes, and I think the reasons are good. They're, they're wearing robes because symbolically they're saying, I am representing Christ to you. I'm not Christ, but I'm representing Christ to you as we gather together. He called me as a minister to bring, bring to you the gospel. And so that's what's, that's what's going on. So, and, oh, go ahead. I was to say, so I think, I think, I've, got, I think I've, I've got my mind wrapped around that a little better now. So then my follow-up question would be, if I'm following that train of logic then, should not every aspect of the service be done by the ordained in minister? Well, that's a very good, that's an excellent follow-up question. And within the CREC, there's a variety of opinions about that. Um, there are some churches that say, for instance, only the minister, not even the elders, but only the minister um, should do the words of institution for communion. If he's not there, you don't have communion. Um, that's the difference between two office and three office with regard to, to government. And you guys can, you know, you guys will have to study that and, and think about that in, in days and years ahead. Um, so we are kind of a middle of the road church with regard to that. And part of the reason that we're a middle of the road church is because when we began, we actually in the middle of the service took prayer requests and then asked people to just go ahead and offer up prayers randomly. And lots of women prayed. So we've come, we are in the midst, we've come a long way in terms of our view of the worship service, our view of, um, of what that looks like. And, and we've kind of moved along and so has the denomination. I don't, I don't think the denomination is ever going to be strictly that higher view. Um, but, uh, and, and there are churches in, in the CREC that probably, um, well, some churches in the CREC will allow, for instance, a layman to go ahead and preach on a Sunday. Uh, and we're one of them under the, I, I would just say when that happens, that's happening but the elders are still responsible for what's being taught. But the normal practice, our normal practice would be an elder or a, a, a teaching elder a, 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 or a minister would be the one who'd be preaching the word. But some of the CREC churches, they wouldn't allow that. They would say, no, you can't do that. And it's because of this theology, and how it works itself out. So there are differences of opinion um, in terms of how it plays out. I feel like I got, I got another question. I'm just trying to follow the train of logic here, so bear with me. Um, Perfect. Um, so then the next follow-up question would be, if a layman is allowed to preach because of a, uh, whether it's a set of circumstances, of whether it's illness and, they, and, and somebody needed to step in on that, or, um, uh, or it's just even like uh, condoned, by the by the by the minister saying hey we're going to allow for this person and as a result the minister is by is vicariously kind of saying hey I am going to take the responsibility I, I'm, I'm responsible for what is still being preached because this person is under my leadership what would the distinction then be if a husband and wife went up to read the uh, to, to just simply not interpret but to read a passage of scripture and the wife were to do that and it's very clear as the husband is standing beside her that he is the, as acting as the head of the house and he is taking responsibility in that how do you see those as being different um, 
Well, on the one hand, I could make a practical argument that it's not different, that she could do that. Um, I would say, what's dri- I, would, I would ask the question both pastorally and culturally, what's driving that? The thing that, thing that seems to me to be driving that is feminism, not biblical exegesis. Um, and part of the reason is, is uh, you can look at 1900 years of the church and say, oh, the problem is it's just a bunch of masculinists. It's a bunch of chauvinists. Uh, but I, I, I think that's, a, that's unfair. Um, I think there's a, a whole bunch more that is understood with regard to understand what a man understanding that he's the man with the sword. He's the man that is in charge of violence. He's the man in charge of protection. He's the one that stands up in front of the people and speaks on behalf of his family. He's the one that speaks before God and takes responsibility for everything going on in his household. And so it follows naturally that when the word of God is being brought forth to the people in the covenant renewal, in the formal renewal service, that he's the one who speaks. Could the wife do it and everything be okay? Yeah. But what's driving it? That's what that would be my question. So as a excuse me, as a and I got about one minute. Okay, sounds good. So last question then would be, um, in, in your opinion, should this be should women being involved in that representative role be something that we look at as an extraordinary thing or as an ordinary thing as we're looking to you know start Lord's Day worship in in earnest soon? I would lean as heavy as you guys are comfortable with to the conservative side, because you won't become more you won't become more conservative very quickly. Okay, thank you so much for your time, uh, uh, Ash. We really appreciate appreciate you, and uh, God bless your Bible study tonight. You're welcome. You guys are great, and those questions are excellent. And I'm, I am not. I think that they're really important to ask and think through, and they're not always easy. Um, they're not easy and simple to answer. There's a whole bunch of things that cause us to ask those questions. Um, and a lot of those questions, reasons for those questions are really good. I want to make sure that um, the gentleman, I can see you, but I can't tell who you are. I'm Andrew. Maybe you're doing that on purpose. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> they're great there questions. Are and- people, there are far more people here than just me. Okay, Andrew, those are those are excellent questions, and I, you shouldn't be ashamed at all or, or embarrassed at all for asking them. They're really important questions. So, so thank you for thank you for asking them. Okay, thank you, Dave. We appreciate right. your time. Thanks, Dave. Good night. Good night. Good night. Alan, I'm just going to go ahead and leave this on, um, so while we continue to chat about it, so you can hear the discussion and chime in as you like. So, I've got um, I've got some agendas. That I made because we've got quite a bit of uh, logistics here to get through. Um, but the, I have I have set aside the next 20 minutes just to discuss the Zoom call and kind of our thoughts on what on what Dave had to say and, and how we should respond to it uh, and, and kind of maybe what the practical implications are for us as we move forward this Sunday and subsequent Sundays and in, in, in the actual Lord's Day worship. Um, I'm I'm gonna turn the lights on so it's not so dark. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll grab these. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, anybody? Yes. Yeah. I don't I don't want to I don't want to suppose on on Thad on what uh, how how Thad was feeling or um, I've just happened to find that it seems that we tend to be kind of like minded uh, about things and a little bit hesitant. I think my 
So his question, the, the last question that he asked, which he didn't have time for like my rebuttal on it, like, okay, so what's the motivation behind having women involved in the Lord's Day worship? Um, I don't, it, it would not be in, in the sense that I think that, oh, well, what we need is we need women to act as, uh, to act as a, uh, a representative. So if we're going to go down the road of, hey, this person, this person is a representative to Christ on behalf of the body, if that is always the case of whoever is standing up there, then I would have to concede that I would go, okay, yeah, then that person, I would even almost lean as hard as saying that person should probably always be the minister then. Like, I, I, I and that, that seems a little bit like hardline, but it just, it's a minister or elder. Yeah. I, and, and, but even, but even then it's like, okay, well, this is truly like the representative Anyway, so not to be super hardliner, but yeah, definitely, right. definitely, at, at at minimum, elder. The uh, but the but the reason why I was why I was kind of asking about it, and I appreciated his comment about how well you know accompaniment and singing is not really leading, um, is that sometimes there's I, I think that there is edification that can happen that isn't necessarily representative edification. So when I hear people around me when I hear the people of God singing and I'm part of that then I am built up by that so I'm not just built up by the minister in front of me I'm built up by the entire corporate body working together and I think that I think that there are times where uh, I have personally experienced edification when I have seen women again not leading in the representative sense but uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I guess the only other word I can't think of a synonym for it, but acting as a lead in a leading position that is not representative leading. So when I'm hearing somebody sing, would that be like somebody playing the piano and you're blessed by them playing the piano? Absolutely, yeah. Right. So blessed by playing the piano or blessed by some just you know a, a fullness and harmony and like oh wow okay that person right. was that there was excellence in the worship that was yeah. brought on by the fact that there was a uh, a, a woman who did uh, a woman who was involved in that or adding to that mm -hmm. uh even still uh there are some there are some times when i've heard reading of scripture where i've uh Again, we should all strive to do it, but I've heard men read scripture and just kind of butcher their way through it, and there was a lot of distraction, and I've heard women reading scripture with clarity and no interpretation, but the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, move on, and you're like, wow, right. I was really blessed by that. And yeah. so I don't know how to, I, I'm struggling a little bit with the reconciling of how, if it isn't good, how what part of me was edified by that and that's the part that i'm struggling with a little bit is separating out like okay representative versus non-representative but right. still participating good so yeah. um anyway so that's my thank you for that that's good uh any other any other thoughts on that uh i think my thoughts go back to a little bit of um just in the epistles and how much Paul talks about women helping him in ministry. And I know that we're talking about Lord's Day worship, but oftentimes the worship was in people's houses. People traveled from house to house. You know, there weren't a lot of established churches. I mean, there were obviously women involved in Paul's ministry. And so 
my 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 part, I guess, on this, which seems a little bit hard, um, it seems ex seems exclusive, and I know it's supposed to be exclusive, and I know the Bible is clear about men leading and, and this whole authority thing, and I'm, I'm I'm tracking with all of that. But to say this representative part, you know, I guess if we're saying that we're representative, I'm in agreement with Andrew. Like, hey, if we're going to hardline representative, then it should just be minister elder. Um, if we're not, if we're saying like, okay, it's more of this leadership thing, then why not? Why not have women accompanying singing, or or at least playing a role in some way, or at least allow it if they if they feel so inclined. Maybe they don't feel so inclined, and that's fine. But to say then that you know we're going to involve our kids or maybe young kids and have them be the representative, and then say, oh well, the kids can do it. You know, the seven or eight year old can do it, but the wife can't. The kid thing was, I don't think anybody thought that the kid thing was going to be something that we took over into actual Lord's Day worship. Okay. I, I mean, I, that would be my take because when we're having a Bible study, if, you know, Jonas wants to get up and sing a song, praise God, and we're blessed by it. Um, so I don't know, maybe other people thought that we were thinking of the eight-year-olds as being representative or something up there, but I, I never really looked at that. As, I don't know if that was clear, I guess. Right. You know, I, I think, think you're right on that. I think it may be, and I think it may be confused a little bit. Like, okay, well, we're going to say that's okay, but we're going to say this other thing is. I, and I think that was in response to something, I think maybe Abraham Ben and my dad said, about like, well, we need to have kids involved. And, you know, that was, you know, that was his, his uh, thought at the time, but I don't, even he, I don't think, would be thinking like, oh, we need to get kids involved, like, you know, uh, Joe should preach a sermon, or, you know, they, you <laughs> yeah. know someone, that, you know, Charles should call us into worship. It's like, that's something that they should aspire towards, but not necessarily something that they're equipped for now. And, and I don't, and I think there's a, there's a line to be drawn there, especially if you start in any interpretation or any exhortation, you know, I'm totally, like, I think there's a line there. But when right. it comes to just reading, you know, maybe reading a passage or accompanying someone who's singing, worship i feel like those are are fairly fairly mute you know as far as yeah you know any sort of leadership or authority in, in the representation of the service but ron, ron you you responded to that email that thad sent out can you talk a little bit about your your thoughts on this because i know you i know you've got thoughts on it it seems to be appreciated hearing dave on this uh, that we're going to have a learning curve here. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to ask a lot of questions as we go along to try to clarify just what's going on. It, one of his main, one of his strongest points in my mind was what drives the actions that we develop. Uh, and I have to be careful that we analyze that, the answer to that question. You mean the careful. why? You mean the why? Why yeah. are we doing that? Yeah. Uh, and as long as we don't don't look at it as a feminist kind of thing, the motives behind feminism, I think, are wrong from a biblical perspective, at least. So that as long as we stay clear of some of those motives, I I can see. Uh, that there would be opportunities, not expansive opportunities, 
but specific opportunities uh, for women to be involved. Right. That's good. If if no, if none of the women wanted to have a representative role, we would all agree there's no problem with that. If none of the men wanted to be in that representative role, we would all agree there's a problem with that. And so if all the women want representative roles, we would agree that there's a problem with that. So there's kind of like what we're, what the, the why in my mind is, is this something that women are feeling left out of? And so we have, we feel like, oh, well, we don't, you know, we want to be kind to them. And so we want to, it's not just for us. We're not chauvinists, you know, is, is that our reasoning? Or is our reasoning that, that, you know, we really, we don't want to do it and we'd rather spread it around a little bit more? One of the things that D Dave didn't say this tonight, but I've heard him say it before, is that um, that in the church, in his experience with churches, when you want men to get involved with things, a lot of times you have to fight pretty hard to get them involved. But as soon as you open up to women, they flock to it. Mm -hmm. They fill the vacuum. They they're there. They want the, you know they women abhor a vacuum, and so they're going to fill it. And he's and he says that's not the answer that you that you want. There's a joke in there. <laughs> there is a joke. I caught that too. They literally accord the back. <laughs> that's awesome. But uh, but but I think that, that the the why is super key um, because we have to have a reason for doing it other than well why not? The question should be well, why would we want to do this? So yeah. oh. so personally for me, you know that I think that's a really good question. Um, of why are we doing it? Like when I when I'm asked to go up there and, and offer a prayer or um, you know really any participant participation in the service, I, it edifies me. I um, I think it's a good experience for me and and just forces me to you know get in the Bible more and uh, and just like you know grow my relationship with God. And I'm like, well, if it's good for me, then I want that for my wife too. Mm. But is she grown in by seeing me do that? Is she, like, does she have to be the one that is, uh, you know, offering the prayer for her to be edified? Uh, she's told me that she she's like, I really, you know, I think it's really neat when you go up there and and get in front of the church and speak. And um, you know, I don't ask her, hey, do you want to pray? You yeah. um, you know, we, we might be up. I don't know. I don't want to speak for everyone, but we might be discussing a, a non-issue. Um. I yeah. I mean, Sarah has very clearly said to me that she views her position in the marriage as one where she is submitting to headship. Like this is not my my wife is not in a spot where we're like oh, she feels like she needs to usurp authority or anything like that i mean and in that i honor her by saying hey i also you know in submitting one to another i want to ask you what do you think about this she gives me her opinion but then she goes at the end of the day you figure it out dude <laughs> I'm like okay yeah. and then I and then I do that and then I own whatever comes to pass out of that so for her it isn't so yeah so for her it isn't so much a an issue of I I, I feel like I need to be up front I think more from my from my side the and I think he kind of uh, Dave kind of alluded to something at the very end there which was to say that He'd rather see us lean more conservative on the matter, right? And I 
want to just be very careful that what we're doing is not is is biblical and not countercultural just to be countercultural. Like right. that's the that's the biggest thing. So when I look at something I go, okay, kinda like what Luke was saying, oh, I see that there were there were definitely women involved in the ministry. And it's there in my mind anyway, it is it is very clear elders and deacons are men. But it is unclear what the Lord's Day worship looked like as far as women involvement in non-leadership roles. And I think that we're surmising, like, kind of, okay, let, let's take a look at uh, Old Testament scripture and let's see how that was structured and how the, how the priesthood was structured. And, and so we're kind of gleaning from that as to the will of God for the, for the Sunday service and, trying, and, and, and marrying that up. So I get the logical extensions behind it, but I just want to make sure that it's not just being countercultural to be countercultural, but it's being countercultural because God has called us to do that. And I think that, um, like I said, Sarah doesn't have, she doesn't have an impulse toward, oh, I, I feel bad that I, I'm not up there. Like, no. for her, she's like, no, I don't. <laughs> uh, you know, she has a gift for piano, but, yeah. uh, you know, and maybe as accompaniment. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Les, did you? Yeah, um, you know, every every Sunday evening, we're we're issued a bulletin or whatever you want to call it, and it has the order of service on it or the liturgy on it. And you know, I don't think it would be too difficult to begin kind of formalizing this by looking at that and, and looking at each aspect of it and go and categorizing it. Right? Is this is this interpreting, is this teaching, is this mm. prophesying over the body? And if it is, then there, there's no issue, right? right. I, that's how I'm understanding it. It's in other words, that that is not the place for the right. woman to be because this says so. Yeah. And I think, so as you go through it, you may be able to you know, circle it with a yellow highlighter that this is this is a category one or whatever. Mm. Just, just as an exercise and a way to, to, to kind of quantify it and qualify it as well, and then see where the gaps are, and then then you have your discussion about these other areas. You know, I my big question was, you know, I don't see, I I don't, I wouldn't see any biblical issue with a woman going up with with any of you guys playing a guitar and lending a voice to that. You know, we have choirs mixed choirs and things that are in church. So kind of that was that was my question. But a lot of these other things to me it's it's kind of a done deal mm -hmm. really. But you would have to for the prayer and things like that, you'd have to kind of categorize it and mm -hmm. consider, you know, what what's the what's the function of this portion of the service? What is what's going on here? Is it mm -hmm. teaching, interpreting, prophesying, what what is going on? And then the Bible to me seems pretty clear about that. Yeah. yeah. Leif, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, um, you know, I was thinking it'd probably be good to define the regulative versus normative principles in worship. Because, you know, throughout history, there's been people who say, you know, you're only permitted to worship God exactly how God instructs you to worship them. And other people say you are permitted to worship God um, however you feel led, as long as it doesn't uh, openly contradict something he's prohibited. And so you can come up with a lot of different, you know, <laughs> And that's been debated throughout history, you know, even reformed churches that everyone mm -hmm. was at that. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so it's kind of, I think that's important because, you know, you can have a lot of uh, 
the nuanced stuff, you know, people can be approaching the scriptures with a different interpretation or a different interpretive method and coming to different conclusions because they hold to a different uh, style of, you know, figuring those issues out. So right. um, I think that can be pretty, because I, I don't know where, uh, you know, everyone stands in that. Or, With the regulative principle? Yeah. yeah. The normative or right. that split down the middle or... We, that, we, that we haven't really talked about it. The, are you guys familiar with that, that discussion, the regulative versus the normative? You probably have to define it. Uh, I'm not real familiar. I've you know heard the terms tossed around, but right, regulative. My understanding of regulative principle is that you only worship God in the ways that He has revealed to you to worship Him, and you don't you don't ever go beyond that. Now, how that ends up getting applied, oftentimes, is a little bit strange. You'll have you'll have um, churches that will do exclusive psalmody, so they only sing psalms, which to me, doesn't actually seem that strange, um, although it wouldn't be my preference. But then they'll also sing without any, any instruments. And, and their reasoning for that is because instruments don't show up in the New Testament, even though they're all throughout the Old Testament. You know, it's, But it doesn't show up in the New Testament, so therefore the regulative principle says you can't have instruments in worship. So I would say that's an example of it maybe being over, that being, right. being stretched. Whereas the regulative principle, in my mind, is a really, really helpful thing to just like stop yourself and think is does the is the bible actually calling me to do this or am i just doing it because you know because i'm creative <laughs> am i just uh, am i just artsy and so i'm thinking i'm going to do it this way or is the bible actually calling me to do it and and then of course interpretations from that are going to be are going to vary but uh, that's then the opposite of that would be like Leif was saying worship can go any way you want as long as it's not directly contradicting how God doesn't violate anything that violate. God is yeah. clearly prohibited or commanded against. Right, and and um, it's and there's a, there's a spectrum to that. Too. Oh, I mean, like, yes. it's a it's a big spectrum. Yeah, so it's yeah, like absolutely. so like what you were just describing that is that is riding the white line into the ditch <laughs> in terms of regulative, and then normative, in the opposite side would be Hillsong. Mm. It's like there's some occasional songs that come out that I'm like, actually, that's not too far off scripture. But the problem is that the bulk of the stuff that you produce is just so bad that I can't embrace most of what you do. And right. so it's like, well, and the and and the, the fact that any revenue going to them is going to be used to promote the false teaching. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So then there's so. then there's even other issues. Yeah. yeah. Right. You so know, my. You know what Kirby was saying as well. You know, the world has worked so hard to con condition women to think a certain way about men. And for instance, when you when you read some of the um, when you read when you read Ephesians five, for instance, it says, you know, men are to love you know husbands love your wives, women you need to respect your husbands, and the world will would tell a woman well. The Bible tells you to submit to a man no matter what. Well, see, they, they leave off all, all, all kinds of things that are associated with that that can, that apply that provide some context hmm. for that. My wife um, and I, and every Christian woman that I know who is who is truly a biblical Christian woman wants to see their man take the lead. Mm -hmm. They, and, yep. and they're going to tell the world, listen, I don't, however you're defining a man is not the way you're going to define my man. Hmm. 
And most, most women I know, and I suspect most of the wives and women who are with you guys at this table would have the same attitude, like your wife said. I love to see, because that, that, that's the man that's going home with me today. You know what? And it's not going to stop at the door when he walks out of this church. Right. It's going to continue throughout the whole week in, in his conduct and his love and respect and honor and reverence for me. You know, it, it, this is not a hit. It's not a slight. But the right. world will tell, tell them a different thing. And, you know, there's a lot of predators out there yep. to, to try to convince them otherwise. So, uh, anyway. That's good. That's opinion. good. Um, if I can just roll this this discussion up just because we can move on to some other stuff um so i've got a, just a short one minute thing i wrote out here i said the last two weeks we've been discussing the role of women during the worship service and it's been extremely productive and fruitful so i've actually been thrilled by how fruitful it's been um, we've managed to gain a unity of conviction that covers about i'm um, you know exactly but uh, about 90 to 95 percent of the worship service like we're all on the same page as far as that go we we agree that women are prohibited from scripture from holding the office of elder or deacon and by extension pastor or teacher or you know um, actually interpreting scripture that kind of thing we agree that scripture forbids a woman to teach at least in the context of worship um, or hold authority over man again in the context of worship um, so that leaves a remaining 5% or so of kind of variations on how we feel about this. Differences in conviction. Um, and the, one of them is being like, should a woman get up there and pray corporately? Or should a woman be um, up front singing, you know, kind of leading the congregation, it, at least in some capacity? Um, I don't think anybody's thinking that we want a, you know, a worship pastor that's a woman, of course. But this, so, so we've got 5% here that we're, we've kind of got some, some ranges of convictions on. And that 5% is not irrelevant. Um, but let's not let it cloud the fact that we're largely of the same mind on this. Um, both sides agree that men should fill all or the vast majority of the representative roles in worship. Um, some believe women should fill a representative role in worship in the area of corporate prayer or maybe singing, that kind of thing. Um, while others are convicted that their role in this particular part of worship ought generally to be particip participatory um, rather than that of a leader. So both sides agree that men should lead and fill the role of corporate representatives. Both sides do not agree that women should be included as corporate representatives, at, even at this point in the area of prayer. We're, I, we're not there quite yet. Um, listen to 1 Corinthians 13. It's, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says... Slightly edited. Finally, brethren, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So in the interest of this passage, and with the full understanding that we can all agree that men ought to be primary leaders during our worship, I would like to make a proposal. I read this to my kids, and Lisa said, men can't propose to men. I'm like, That's exactly right. <laughs> I propose that for the present, we leave this topic, and we kind of move on to other topics of equal and timely importance, um, especially as we're moving into worship, um, with the understanding that men, for the time being, will fill the role. We kind of err on that side of conservative, that, that, that side that we all agree that they should be in, um, that they should fill that role until we come to a greater oneness of mind on the topic. And then I would also suggest that when we do decide to pick up the topic again, and I think it's important that we do, just like Dave was saying, this is really important. These are important discussions. We should have them. But I think we should avoid simply having a general discussion about it or even necessarily watching a teaching. 
Instead, I think we should do what C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien and their contemporaries did. Have some person in favor of the topic, in this case it would be women leading prayer in church, have that person write an essay defending biblically their conviction. And then this essay would be read at a roundtable meeting, and we would, we would talk about the essay. We would, that would be the ideas expressed there would kind of lead the discussion. And what that would do is it would give us a very relevant to our group feeling of where people are at. Because I, I, was, I was very blessed by what Dave had to say, and I, I, hadn't, I hadn't heard the things that he was saying. He was, he was actually more open to the idea than I thought he was. But I still think it'd be just in, in interest of being of one mind, we should err on the side for now of having men fill that role of representative. That's my thoughts. What do you guys think? Yeah, I don't mind couching it for a little while, as yeah. long as, yeah. or tabling it or whatever sure. furniture you want to put it on. <laughs> Refrigerator. Yeah, put it on ice. But I do, I, I do think that the, I, I do think that it is ill-advised to, I, we definitely do not want to abandon the topic. Because it, if we just go, hey, okay, this is what we're going to do, and then we're like, and then we develop the normative trend of like, hey, this is how, okay, this is how we do worship. Uh, hey, I, I have a object. No, sorry, we're kind of, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it, and you just kind of keep telling your kid that you're going to get to it, and eventually they get irritated and they, yeah, you know. So, with that in mind, I, yeah. I don't have a particular problem with that. I don't know about the format of essay structure. Just an idea. Um, yeah, we don't have yeah, it at all. Um, it, the, usually. I'm not saying that those men had tons of time in their life, but they, they were prolific writers. <laughs> that's, that's true. An essay makes forces you to collect your thoughts in a way that are not just general feelings. Like I, oh, I, I agree. Feel I like agree, this. though. That I agree, though, that it should be at least a prepared, some sort of prepared statement that is yeah. biblically grounded. That you're right. actually pulling scripture into the conversation. Yeah, and, and not just like, hey, let's look at these passages and give our thoughts on them. Like, hey, I've, I've got a. I've got a point. I'm trying to. I'm trying to convince you guys of this. Maybe you'll be convinced. Maybe you won't be convinced. But at least we know where people are coming from on it. So um, I think that's. I think that's really good. And we do need to continue to to, to explore it. Um, Dave. One of the things Dave did tell me um, before we talked tonight was that they are constantly talking about this at his church because they get new people coming in, and the new people want to know why aren't women doing things up there? And he's like, it's a it's a wonderful opportunity for us to show them the. The, the biblical manhood that God has set out in terms of leadership, something that our culture despises. And so, yeah, we don't want to be countercultural just for the sake of being countercultural, but sometimes countercultural, sometimes there are certain ways that you're countercultural that are extremely biblical and extremely relevant to the culture that you're a part of right now. Um, and so that, uh, any other thoughts on that before we move on to the mission church that updates there? Dean. I'll make it real fast. Sure. I like Al Mulder. I've mentioned him before, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and Boyce College. He has a podcast I love listening to and recently listened to it. And he talked about in the context of recent uh, statements made by Paula White, <laughs> complementarianism. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And basically, I kind of feel like that's what we're talking about here, but not so much in the home, but in the church. Women shouldn't take a leadership role, but they should complement things. So if that philosophy can be applied to the church as well as both, I think that kind of in one word, in my mind and thoughts, represents what we're looking for. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I also like patriarchy. You know, we need to bring that, we need to take that yeah. word back. 
I think it should be revisited. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's our hearts, thoughts, and actions when worshiping God. Yes. You know, I mean, that's that's a big deal. Yep. You know, I think it's serious stuff. Yeah, and and I think we can. I think if we wait to start including women, I think we'll keep the pressure at a lower. You know, that just kind of like the the pressure for those because I'm not there. I, I'm not there. I know my dad's not there. I know other people aren't aren't as comfortable with it. And for me, I personally see, uh, I personally see this being a very cultural response that is also biblical to a world where women run everything. <laughs> women run the world, and 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 that's and, and look at the world. <laughs> so, I think it would be helpful for me. I think it'd be, and I and I think I can speak for other people too. It'd be helpful for us not to run into this before we're ready to say, okay, I maybe don't agree with everything, but I'm, I'm willing to, to move forward with, with that. Can I ask you something? Sure. Because after hearing this and after hearing about the representative stuff there, what is your position then on if they, uh, what's your position on those elements of the service being led by a non-minister? Right. Well, I, having not looked extensively into the two office, three office, four office view, I've always been a two office guy because um, it just it's easy for me to it makes sense to me, and I haven't taken the time to, to really tackle that idea. Mm -hmm. um, if I was at a church where uh, we're actually going to a church right now that has a three office view, so if the minister, if the pastor's not there, we don't do communion. But we and 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 actually that particular church doesn't even allow their elders to preach. That particular denomination doesn't allow their elders to preach. What they're supposed to do in the absence of the minister is they're supposed to read a pre-approved sermon by somebody who is a pastor. An elder is supposed to do that. They, they don't take it that far, and so they let their elders preach. Because, but but it's, it just shows that people have a variety of ideas on this. I love the idea of including, of, of worship being participatory. Um, and specifically, like Kirby was saying, calling men to step up who, who might otherwise be unqualified to, to have a, a role of leadership in the church, especially in that worship. We're talking about 168 hours a week. We're talking about a one and a half hour section every week where this is, this, these things apply. The rest of the the rest of the week, these things aren't really as applicable. Right, but I I I'm just want to I just want to make sure, like, because I, I again I'm trying to wrap my head yeah, around this. Right, it's like we're creating a restriction, understandably, that says, hey, women are not supposed to be in a leadership role. And when I look at the <clears throat> when I look at the qualification for elder, it is not the exclusive the. The gender of the individual is not the only prerequisite for that spot. <laughs> there are a ton of other prerequisites right. for that spot. Yep. And so my, my, question, my question is then, um, you know, it, I'm, I'm assuming, I, so I'm, I'm definitely taking in a much more of the position that you're going to be an elder if you're going to do this stuff, if we're going to have this, because right. I think that, that if we're going to be talking about this being a representative mm. role, then... That needs to be somebody who is above reproach, and so we're not just kind of willy-nilly sending, you know, 
Because yeah. you're a man, therefore you are automatically qualified for the spot. Uh-uh. It's like guys' names in a hat here. Yeah, yeah, and and the yeah. other, and, and I would I would maybe even push back a little bit on well, this might be their only t- opportunity for leadership. What qualified? For, how come they're not leading in other areas of their life? Right. I'm not going to call you up to do something sure. if you're not leading in other Absolutely. areas of your right. life. And so, like to me, I feel like I, I feel like. <clears throat> Yeah, that, that's where I'm, I, again, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with that tension of like, okay, laymen and clergy, we're yep. not talking about, you know, we're not talking. But very... if you look at who's commanded to lead, it's men. And it might be okay for women to be up there in some capacity. So so, so I, I'm trying to err on the side of what's clearly commanded and then leave time for us to continue to decide with, like, what are we comfortable with with this Maybe gray area of because I, I agree uh, the, the Corinthians seems to indicate in some capacity women are praying. Maybe it's they're praying with authority on their head, like Dave was saying at the beginning of the discussion. Um, or may, maybe you know I'm I'm open to those discussions. But if we have to, if we don't know, and we have to kind of move in a, in a direction, I would rather err on the side of caution and go with just what is commanded rather than move into the area that that might be okay, but you know, wow, we're we're actually we're pushing against a lot of years, a lot of centuries of church history with this. This is not something that the church has historically done, and maybe maybe the church has historically been wrong, but it's not something that the church has historically done much of, with women playing that representative role. And and um, so I, I think that's... Well, now I'm now I'm on to the next thing, which is the what does the representative role mean in terms of uh, you know ordination, like. Mm. That, that that so I'm I'm kind of like okay well if we're gonna I mean if we're gonna take a hard line on it why not even be more conservative mm. like yeah like and so I, that like, would not I mean there would be lots of people in the CRC who would agree with you yeah so I, I think I, I I just need to see where that logic lines up with where scripture's at yeah. and see like right. okay am I just being a pain in the butt <laughs> because I right. have a, I have an opinion I'm like well fine you don't want to. You don't want to have, you know, you want to error too much? Well, fine. You could just error all the way over here. That's, that's secretly my plan all along. <laughs> What's that? So you also want to be consistent, though. You know, I think that's right. kind of where you're getting at. Is yeah. Right? If, you're, if we're inconsistent in our theology, then there's a big problem. Yeah, and we want to have an answer for why we do things the way we right. do. That's the whole point is we're intentionally doing these things. things. Right. In addition to the church history that sets a precedent for us, we're products of our society, mm-hmm. and we have been strongly influenced in our thinking about that. So we have to have a mechanism for thinking through these things and right. determining why we want to do a certain thing a certain way. Right. So that we Absolutely. can evaluate that in terms of a biblical perspective. Yep. We have to be aware of our own blinders. Yes. Like we are, we live in this, and so how do we, how do we take account of that? Can we move on to the updates? Yeah. Okay, so um, tithing. That's where you send your tithe checks. If you want to send your tithe checks, um, Elizabeth and I are going to probably start this within the next week or two ourselves, um, sending tithe checks up to Trinity Church. Just make sure that you put in the memo, Centralia Mission Church, because um, they'll be thankful either way, but they'll be more thankful if you don't put that. <laughs> it, won't, it won't go into the, uh, the fund for us. So. So anyways, that, this is temporary, of course, because the next thing is federal ID number, uh, and this is going to be needed to have payroll, to open a bank account, 
Not a 501c3. <laughs> I put that on there for you. I saw that. Okay. So 501c3 is something different. That's something that you apply to the IRS for. This is just this is just a it's like a basically like a social security number for an organization. So we've got bylaws for that now. Once we actually become a, have our founding members, then we'll we'll be we'll be eligible for that. Um, hymnals. I'm reaching out to Canon Press. Uh, to request these, they they're a small publishing house, and so they're I think onto their third printing, um, and so I'll find I'll I'll report back with what they say on that as to as far as when we get them. In the meantime, though, I think we can continue to continue to just print them and include them in the bulletin. Yeah. What hymnal is it? It's the Cantus Christi, uh, or as Dave says, Cantus Cantus Christi. Cant it's the it's the one generally the CREC Church uses. It, most of the songs that we sing on Sundays are coming from that, um, and it, we're not exclusively Conscious Christie. We we do other things too. Um, for the most part, the it's a good trusted hymnal, and so we need to be evaluating all of the songs wherever they come from. But it's a pretty good one that we can all kind of learn. And then if we do things interdenominationally within the CREC, we'll oftentimes be singing. We'll be knowing the same songs that other people know, um, so that that can be helpful. We need hymnals anyway, so. Um, family interviews for membership. Um, we were thinking about doing it on a Sunday, like afternoon, evening. That doesn't look like it's going to work anytime soon for Dave and Tyler, his son, who's also an elder. Um, does Friday or Saturday work? Saturday work for people? We, you, we could act, you guys could actually come out to the house, and we could hang out outside. Because Tyler and Dave will both come down. They can interview. Dave can interview one family. Tyler can interview the other family. We can get through it pretty quick. It's like a 15-minute interview. Just making sure the people who are becoming members are actually Christians. I just I just need to know when, yeah. so that way I can take the time off. Okay. Uh, yeah. Any any thoughts on Friday or Saturday? Which Friday? Which he Saturday? hasn't even got back to me on that, so okay. I just I wanted to know if it like never worked. Um, <laughs> um, it should work for. The okay. Rooms. Yeah. All right. Um, depending on which day, you know, which one it is, yeah. or whatever. You know, okay. Like in a week from Saturday, we have something going on in the right. afternoon. With some gotcha. Friends, but okay. Yeah. In general, I think if we're planning ahead, we should be able to. Perfect. Figure I'll, it out. I'll I'll try as soon as I hear from him what day he would propose. I'll send that out to everybody, and you guys can let me know if it's going to work or not. Um, pulpit supply. This would just be people who would be available to preach. Trinity Dave's Church. Um, um, he told me that they will provide for us once a month, uh, which is awesome. <laughs> um, Reformation Covenant. That is the one down in Oregon City. Um, the, I just talked to the pastor there today. His name is Bo Corgill. Really neat guy. Um, and uh, I, haven't, I haven't asked him about Pulp Supply because I just met him today. But I will, I will ask him to see if they can supply. Um, Olympia Bible Press. That's where we go right now. Um, one of the elders there is in, um, he's in uh, the, the uh, seminary. And so he said that he could probably do once every eight weeks. You know, once every other month. Um, and that would be awesome. Uh, and then I've gotten some kind of light commitments from the Greyfriars over in Moscow about possibly them coming over and filling that. Of course, they're, they're in, they're in uh, seminary as well, so they're not going to be like experienced preachers and whatnot, but, um, but for, in terms of filling the pulpit. So I'm continuing to work on who to fill the pulpit. Dave's been pretty open to who, can, who, who should be filled the pulpit. He he told me his only criteria is that they're good. <laughs> He's like, they just can't preach if they're not good. <laughs> if they're not good at preaching. So um, uh, I'm going to be interviewing for elder 
as I've kind of told you guys before. So if the session says, okay, yeah, you, we think you'll be an okay, we think you'd be a good elder, and the, the rest of the body thinks that I'd be a good elder and I was to be ordained, then I could also periodically fill the pulpit as well. Um, but that's just kind of an update on, on where we'd be at with, with filling the pulpit for with preaching. Um, um, and then location. Ford's Prairie Grange. You guys know where that is? The, it's, uh, do you guys know where uh, Reynolds Avenue? Lincoln, Lincoln Creek Lumber is? It's right mm -hmm. by Lincoln Creek Lumber. So I love that location. Yeah. It's like <laughs> right next to my house. Is it? <laughs> like a, yeah. We could roll down the hill. <laughs> well, so I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, it's open, and we could, we could close the deal tomorrow. Um, it's pretty spendy, though. Um, and, and the reason why it's spendy is because they will either rent it on Saturday or they'll rent it on Sunday, but they won't do both days because unless we were willing to do it in the evening. And I told them, no, we, we, need, to have, we need to have morning church, so we'll need, to, we'll need to be in there by 10 o'clock or something like that. So, um, so the price that she gave me, and we would have it for the whole day, but it'd be $250 per, per, per Sunday, basically. So 1000 bucks a month for, or, or $1,250 if it's a five-Sunday month. Um, but that's but it is available. Um, how how is that? Is that a good price? I don't. I've never rented a. It grade. seems expensive to me, but I happen to know that that's what the Christian school charges. Oh. Um, the, the church that everything. Yeah. Um. So. Anyways, anybody else have any other locations that are central to the Centralia Shales area that might that might work? We act, I was actually trying to talk my dad into our new building. But Elizabeth reminded me of something. She goes, there's nowhere to go when the babies start crying. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of like a deal killer right there. <laughs> you have to like, so if we were all adults, we had no kids, which uh, we could do that. We could do the downtown building. But otherwise, there would literally, it's like one big room. So there's no crying room or nursing mom room or anything like that. So I don't think that would be very ideal. Um, any other thoughts in terms of locations that you guys are aware of? I don't know how much room we're going to need. Um, I guess I'm thinking. What's Ari Bennett up to right now? I was thinking the same thing. We'd kind of get dwarfed in that auditorium. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I honestly was thinking about Ari Bennett as well. Is that the school up on Market? Or yep. Whatever? Yeah. The old one? Yeah. Oh, wow. There might be something happening with that. Oh, really? Can we turn off three quarter for a second? <laughs> yeah, that's all I can say. Okay. Um, Are there any Seventh Adventist churches in town? Um, yeah. Yeah, there's one out. I like that location. Do you know? <laughs> you know, one of the things is that Trinity. So Dave Hatcher's church was in an SDA church, and as soon as COVID hit, they kicked them out. Really? Like, and so, so it, they're they're extremely strict about following <laughs> governmental guidelines. Wow. So. I, I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm just saying that that might be. They might, that could vary by location too. Yeah, they're they're meeting in person now. It's okay. Is that are you talking about the one off of Highway Six? six? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that'd be sweet. <laughs> I can roll down. Lots of enough toward Adna, Adna Boyford. Okay. Uh, you, you take the right right before Clicquito. Uh, yeah. 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 Right. You can see it from the highway. It's. There. It's huge. It's huge. It's right enormous. Now. Yeah, they got a big. Is that is the school right next to it? Yeah, the school's no. in Schubert. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's further out. Okay. Um, yeah, we, I used to play piano recitals there back in the day. 
Do you want to check check with them? I can, yeah. Stop by. I was I, I was only thinking about that upper office area that I have in my office that I have kind of like break room, whatever, right. snack yep. area. It is not huge. It's wider than this. Uh huh. I know. I've been up there. I but it's about this about. long. Both this long here. Yeah, and it's okay. fairly open. Like all we right. have in that middle of that whole space is our ping pong table. Right. So we could just roll that. And you got parking it. across the street. That we you have, could do and it. we have the Moose Lodge. Right. Across the street. Which one you talking about? Right. So, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. There might be some issues chairs. with like fire code or yeah. something, but. What about like oh, then we just like bring camp chairs or something like that? Yeah, uh, we could we could get some chairs, I guess. I don't know. We right. Could bring we could get some. Well, with the the two hundred fifty dollars a month or uh, two hundred fifty dollars a week we'd be saving, I bet we could get you know. Yeah. We could do like a call call oh, of the heart. Hey, hey, we, hey we listen. Haven't, we haven't heard what he's gonna charge us. Yeah, that's right. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> sorry, I thought this was a I thought this was a gift. Oh, oh boy. Okay. You All right. Be a slumlord. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So I don't know. I mean, in the, in our infancy, I mean, I don't know if if we only have ten families coming. I, totally I, think, I think that's a. I think there might a be room. enough room for it. It's right. just it's not high ceilings in there, you know, in that upper area like right. it is but in the lower church. area. Right. We're but, low church. Yeah. yeah <laughs> right. Um, we're we're going to be moving out of this location, and when we do, it's eleven hundred a month for here. So it'd be the same price as the the Grange. So, I, if think about it, um, and think about the logistics of it, and if you want to commit to that or not, but mm -hmm. that 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 makes a lot of sense because then there's actually a place you can kind of get away from from it with grandkids and that kind of thing. Yeah, because it could go down into the lower office right. area if they right. got a kid crying or whatever. I don't know which which way would make sense to have people front. Right. You know, at that point then, but um, I mean, mm. I don't know. Yeah, because we don't need a fancy sound system or anything. Right. It's not like we're doing rock rock concerts. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. So you're saying this location? You're referring to the Christian school? No, I'm talking about this this office. So, like, let's. I was just thinking, like, we're going to be moving down to the, the building. What if we just kept the lease and just kept this spot open? That I'm not. I'm not opposed to that because then we would have it all. You know. All week. All week. You know, all month. We could we could do that as well. Um, uh, For like a hundred dollars more a month. Basically, basically hundred dollars more a month, we could actually have to a, a, a low. A lo yeah, exactly. We could actually have a location of the church. Um, this one thing that would be kind of nice about this is that you'd actually have like an easy way for people to join. Like it'd be very very open. You know, very like high profile. Um, so. I, I would be willing. I'd be willing to look at that as well. Um, at least in, like we said, in our infancy, in the in the interim, as we are kind of, kind of getting off, getting our feet off the ground. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't want people showing up thinking, oh, wait, we're doing church here. Yeah. <laughs> There's no name, or you can't see anything in here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> They're walking into the back room here. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't know. It w obviously, it wouldn't work right now. We'd have to get everything out. And we have to actually get it set up. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about my location. Too. Oh, your location. Right, exactly. right, right. I don't know. That might be a little off-putting to someone new, but right. we're not super sensitive, though. Right. We're exactly. Just trying to, we're just trying to you know, make people work for them. So. Is this in Paralia High School, though? Is that not possible or too much? Or? Good question. I, I don't really know. Um, COVID makes everything strange now because like this, um, this Episcopal church, the Methodist church over here, somebody told me that 
I mean, I, they, I don't think they hardly have anybody going to that church. It's a beautiful, huge, mm -hmm. huge church. Somebody was telling me that the Methodists have in their bylaws that, that if they're not using the church or if they're not really using the church, that they are supposed to rent it out to another wow. church regardless of their denominational viewpoints. Um, but with COVID, I don't even know if anyone's ever entered that building. It's all, it's all run by women. If you go on their website, it's completely run by women, wow. and it looks like they almost never go in there. I mean, there's barricaded signs everywhere. Maybe we cater to their feelings, you know. Yeah, exactly. That you know, would be ironic. Right, it would be. <laughs> <laughs> I must say that PCUSA church there in T Toledo, it's a really cool church. Oh, is it? And I wrote them a letter saying, hey, you should sell it. Yeah, right? <laughs> I never heard anything back. I wonder why. <laughs> Oh. Well, keep keep thinking about that, but Luke, I like your idea, and um, I mean that would just it would save money, you know. Yeah, at, exactly. At the beginning here, we could be focusing more on on pastor and yep. stuff, stuff like that. But yep, exactly. I was going to bring up you're talking about pulpit supply. I mean, maybe we can get less to preach. Yeah, I was kind of going to hold that back until he for sure wasn't going to join us. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, honestly, I I really was thinking like if you were willing to to fill the pulpit, I I know that would be that would be excellent as well. I love to preach and preach on Sunday, but yeah. um, I mean, you've heard you've yeah. heard that one disc. I don't know what, what you think, but that's yeah. We'd have to make sure we all evaluate at least one sermon. Absolutely. Big clock, like don't go past forty-five minutes or less. <laughs> ow, ow. <laughs> I think that is true. I get it. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I but seriously, Luke, Luke, kind of, uh, Luke is totally hitting the nail on the head. I was, I've been, I've been actually thinking about that for months, you know, but you know, not wanting you to think, okay, I can still be a part, but not because I can just preach for him. Because <laughs> right. you know, we we want you guys. We want to, you all in. We want you all in. That's right. We're still pressing. We're still not giving up hope, Les. Any other thoughts on that before we talk about federal vision? Yeah, you got uh, 12 minutes to yeah. completely go over federal vision. Yes, in, in depth. Yeah, everybody says that. <laughs> yeah, you guys are going to be so disappointed when I'm done. <laughs> All right, so. Oops, that's not right. Slideshow, where is it? Play from start. Look how with this. Okay, so federal vision controversy. Um, I'm anything but an authority on this topic, but it did start back in 2002 um, at the Auburn Avenue Pastors Conference, um, and the topic of the the topic of the conference was the covenant. And so I don't even know how you say that. Foitus, foitus, um, foitus means treaty or covenant, and that's where we get the word federal. And so the federal vision is basically just title they gave to, to this idea of all these different topics surrounding the covenant and how and how it works with the covenant and there were at the original um, Auburn Avenue pastors conference there was four speakers so there was John Barrick who was part of the UR, URCNA which I can't remember what that stands for Steve Schlichel who um, runs Messiah um, Messiah Church in New York City he's a reform guy but he's he's kind of his own denomination I don't I think he's just an independent reform guy and then there was Steve Wilkins, who, who was at the time PCA. And then there was Doug Wilson, who was at, at the time and still is um, CREC. Um, so, so basically, this was, I, from what I can tell, there's not even like original recordings of the topic. But it was controversial enough that 
word started to get around and there was somebody in the OPC who really started to to make a lot of waves about this and how it was it was inconsistent with reformed theology. Now you're going to you're going to get that that feeling a lot when we go through this is that this is almost entirely a reformed theology uh, controversy. Outside of the reformed world, people are going to give you like the what? What are you talking about? And, and even inside the reformed theology, like I've been in, I've been a part of the CREC for twelve years now in terms of following them and following what they've been talking about and doing. And I, I still don't really know if I've got that great of a grasp on what every, why everybody got so bent out of shape with the federal vision. But, um, but I, but I know that there was, I know that there was good, good, uh, good pushback on it. Um, and I brought this book here. This is the Federal Vision. Um, this, so this is in their own words. This goes a little bit beyond just those four speakers. Um, I think it has like eight, eight different authors. Because in 2003, they did another conference where they basically said the Federal Vision revisited. And I think they kind of had more speakers at that one. And I think all of them came together with their essays to kind of put together this, this book. And so um, let's go to the next slide here. What is... What are, what are the FV topics? Uh, so the, obviously the church and the covenant. Um, in the reformed world, and not just the reformed world, but you'll get this idea of visible and invisible church. Are you guys familiar with that, that terminology? So the visible church would be, um, there's debate over who's a part of the visible church. Well, actually, there's not as much debate over who's a part of the visible church. But the question is, the invisible church are the, the actually elect. The invisible church would be those people who God foreordained from the foundation of the earth to uh, eternal life. And the visible church would include the invisible church, but it would also include people who aren't a part of that eternal election. Now, what the FD guys were doing was they were talking about the, this idea of elect versus the idea of being in the covenant. Is there a difference? Historically reformed theology, maybe, hasn't made as big of a distinction between if you're in the covenant or you're elect. They kind of look at them both as being one and the same. Um, and so they, they were making the case that there was a distinction between in the covenant, being in the covenant, and being elect. Because being elect is, is the secret things of God. We don't know who's elect. We don't get to know. And I would even go so far as to say we shouldn't try and figure out who's elect and who's not. Because Deuteronomy says the secret things belong to the God, and the, the things that we can know belong to us and to our sons. Um, and so, so a big part of this is that visible versus invisible church, as well as the elect versus who is in the covenant. And so when you read through uh, the New Testament, you'll hear the phrase, uh, you'll hear Paul or Peter or James talking to the saints who are in the church at Ephesus or this, uh, Philippi or wherever. Well, FV people would say, was every one of those people in that church elect? Probably not. There were probably some in there who were not elect. And yet, the biblical inspired author referred to all of them as saints. And so pastorally, we should, we should get away from this distinction of trying to only talk to God's elect. Because we don't know who they are. But we do know who, who is a part of the visible church. We do know who's in covenant. And that leads me into number two, which is the sacraments. Um, and so the way the FV guys would, and I'm not sure how, I'm not sure. How, oh, last thing I would say on that first part is that 
The critics of this idea say that it's covenantal Arminianism. Um, and, and I haven't talked a lot about that, but, but basically the FV guys say that to be in the covenant with God is to, um, that every, every covenant has blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. So, so if you're in covenant with Christ, there is, for obedience, there's blessings. For disobedience, there's curses. So critics say that that's just a, another form of Arminianism. Uh, go ahead, Dean. Well, are they from the country of Armenia, or are they believers? Oh, did I spell that wrong? <laughs> uh, no, not, yeah, thank, thank you for that. I, I may have spelled that wrong. I, was, I didn't actually spell it. Armenia. <laughs> right, but followers of, you know, that Jacob Arminius. It's the Armenian, the Armenian doctrine. Um, I actually had a guy who's gone to a Reformed church his whole life. He asked me, what's, what's Arminianism? And I'm like, well, I'm, really? I'm bad. I'm bad. Wow. <laughs> uh, but basically just, you know, Jacob Arminius was a Reformed pastor, who started pushing this idea that you know people were not were, were not brought into into God's covenant uh, or were not be, uh, were not brought into the election based entirely on meritless grace. They part of it part of it was merit based in how they you know God looked through the corridors of time and could see who would choose Him, and so God predestined those to salvation. His choices well, depend upon our first choice. Exactly right. And so the critics of FV say that FV is Arminian. I have never, 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 never heard anybody preach anything remotely approaching um, that you are saved by your choices, or that you're even that you even remain in the covenant by your choices. But they, but they, and, I'll, and I'm going to get to this on the second page. They do say that the warnings in Scripture mean something. And so as as Reformed Christians, we should take seriously the warnings against apostasy. Well, let's go on to this, the, the sacraments, unless somebody has a, a big question on the Church and the Covenant. Um, on the, on, under the title of the sacraments, what does baptism accomplish? And the, the Roman Catholic view has been that it's, that it's efficacious in saving people from their sins. It's like the water goes on and the grace goes in. That's the, cap, the Roman Catholic idea. And the Reformers, of course, rejected that baptism is the thing that actually brought about the spirit of God's saving grace in your, in your soul. But sometimes when we react to something, we react in such an opposite way that we say, okay, baptism has nothing, it does nothing at, at all. It's just merely symbolic and that's it. It has, there's nothing, it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't, it doesn't signify anything else other than, um, you know, new creation with Christ. And, um, and so the question is, does baptism accomplish anything? Does, does it administer any type of grace at all? And the FV guys would say, yes, it does. Because when you're in covenant with Christ, you get all sorts of blessings by being in covenant with Christ. And your baptism signifies union with Christ. And so it's efficacious in that it brings you into the church. And because you're a part of the church, you get all of these blessings. That's what baptism signifies. But once again... Never do they have they ever have I ever read anybody teach anything in terms of baptismal regeneration from the idea that you are saved from your sins and God gives you a new heart gives takes out this heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh because of your baptism. Um, but 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 instead that baptism is signifying union. And so then I said on this next part, how does John 15 and election connect? Well, John 15 is all about Christ being the vine dresser. And those who are found in him 
um, and, uh, and those who um, basically persevere in him, remain in him, and those who don't bear fruit get pruned away. Well, the FB guys are saying, well, what are we be getting pruned away from? We're in Christ. It, it says that we're one of the branches that get pruned off. And so what have we been pruned off? It's not our election. The, F, the FB guys are, are, are just as set as the rest of us as, as it relates to election. They're saying, though, that you somehow, you're getting cut off from Christ in some way. And so what they would say is that because you're in covenant with Christ, but you're not elect, because your baptism has made you in union with Christ, it has, has visibly tied you to Christ covenantally, that that is what John 15 would be talking about. When you're getting cut out of Christ, you're not losing your salvation. You never had it. But you did have a type of connection with Christ through your baptism that the rest of the world didn't have. Not sure if that's helpful or not. Um, can I clarify anything on that? Because I know it's... Yeah, so what would the FBA's position be <clears throat> on... Um, so you are a Easter and Christmas church attendee. Mm -hmm. And... Your kid gets baptized because mm -hmm. that's just what right. you do, right? And so you baptize your kid. I because I feel like a lot of what the benefit to I'm, I'm kind of bouncing around here a little bit, but yeah. a lot of the benefit of being in covenant is the fact that your parents are in covenant, right? Be, so so the the connection to Christ is in fact the connection to your parents, and so the the distillation of the Word of God to your kids right. is a big part of it. So how how would they what beyond common grace does the kid who just gets baptized and then he has absolutely zero connection with a covenant parent because the parents aren't covenant parents right like what what did they yeah. i mean do they do they talk about that at all or i don't know if they talk so much about nominal christianity i think what they're pastorally more addressing is the idea that sometimes people can get into reform into this idea of reformed theology and then they can start thinking like am i elect like i'm i'm, I'm not I'm not doubting my salvation. I'm doubting whether or not I'm elect. If I knew I was elect, then I wouldn't worry. But am I actually elect? You know, and, and so they're trying to speak pastorally, I, I think. I can't speak for everybody, of course, because one of the things you'll find is that there's no, like, one vision with, with the federal vision. Everybody, <laughs> everybody, everybody kind of has their different interpretations. What a, are the, it maybe it should have been a federal vision. <laughs> yeah, or so maybe multiple federal <laughs> visions. <laughs> Um, it says the, the, the article in front of that implies right. that there's a singular idea. One of the guys, so this is Steve Wilkins in the, in the forward. He says, the emphasis upon baptism rests heavily upon a covenant theology, which emphatically affirms that God's covenant embrace, that God's covenant embraces believers and their children in an objective way. Um, the covenant of grace is not simply an invisible entity made only with the eternally elect and thus unknowable. Rather, the covenant is objective marked out by Trinitarian baptism, and this covenant places God's name upon real people in real time and space, people who can readily be identified by others. Now, what it, what, basically what he's saying is that, and this is, this is controversial in the Reformed world, is that your baptism signifies that you belong to Jesus. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a big... I'm not totally sure how, how, the, how other people would argue against that, but... but this idea that God's covenant is not subjective. It's not something that you feel. It's something that's very objective in his grace being passed from generation to generation of those who love and fear him get passed through the sign of the covenant, which is baptism. Um, so I'm not sure if that helps your answer. They, 
I'm not sure how much they talk about nominal Christianity. Um, just that idea of like people who are just Christmas and Easter Christmas and Easter Christians. Right, because the efficaciousness of baptism, it would seem intuitive in this uh, the very minimal framework that I have. Right. That just simply by doing it, right, is there there's something that happens, right? Yeah. But well, but, but if there's something, there's an uh, an outside a, an extrinsic force being applied to it, meaning that. I have ba- I have baptism, but actually, what's really going on is I have covenant parents. Mm-hmm. That's a totally different scenario than right. saying, "Hey, I baptized," and there's an efficacious element that brings me into covenant, regardless of yeah. my regardless of the status of my parents. Right. So I again, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's good. I mean, and, and it, it kind of comes down to does is is baptism just something that we do as a public act of evangelism? Is that all baptism is? Just us saying, "Hey guys, I've decided I'm, I'm, to follow Jesus," <laughs> and, and and then it leaves it. Then it leaves it at that. That was that's probably a more mainstream evangelical idea: is that yeah. your baptism is your public declaration of faith, and so therefore it is an evangelistic tool that God uses to spread the gospel. Um, they would say your baptism is God covenantally bringing you in, bringing you into union with Himself, and and. You get blessings for that, and you get curses for that, because the Israel, the Israelite kids, you know, they're they're born one day, and eight days later they're circumcised. What are they circumcised into? Into God's covenant people. They didn't get a choice in the matter, and so if they obey God, they get lots of blessings, and if they disobey God, they get lots of curses. We're saying that, well, I shouldn't say we, but the FV guys are saying that that hasn't fundamentally changed. So. Someone who gets baptized into the covenant, are they in fellowship with God? That is that is totally not at all. I don't think that's at all what they're trying to make a case for. That your baptism automatically gives you a relationship with Christ. Right. But you said union with yeah. God. So I'm so I'm just trying to sort right. that in my mind. Um, I, the union in, to me implies a pretty serious relationship, right? You know, if not even intimate relationship. Sure. So, uh, one uh, one thing that I'm wrestling with is in the Old Testament. Whenever a new covenant, you know, there's prophesied the prophecies of the new covenant, and often it describes regeneration. You know, I will put in them a new heart. I will mm-hmm. cause them to walk in my ways, and that's describing those who belong to the new covenant. Mm-hmm. So to say that, well, you can be in the covenant but not elect and not a Christian, not persevere to the end. Kind of puts this idea that you can be regenerated, you can have the Holy Spirit, you can have a new heart, you can have a renewed mind, you can be a new creation in Christ, and then you can not be saved. Oh, because you know, you're I, not baptized? Because, well, because you were, you were saying, no, you're no, making no, a distinction between yeah. being in the covenant and being elect, right? So you can be yeah. in the covenant and in fellowship, but not elect. Mm. And I'm, I'm looking at the Old, Old Testament prophesying you know, right. of the new covenant, and it's like, well, it's describing regenerated people sure. who are part yeah. of that new covenant. So right. how can you be regenerated or have all the descriptions or you know of regeneration without actually being elect? Right. Is because he's gonna I will take their heart of stone and I will right. make it a heart right. of flesh. Exactly, yeah. I will be their God and right. they will be my people. Yep. So for me, I, I this has been something that's been very right. difficult for me, this this the in the covenant and then a regenerated heart and an elect, you know, right. saved, uh, born again Christian. 
I, I've really, really sure. struggled with that. So if do you go to do you go to church with anyone who is not elect? I I don't know. Exactly. I don't know either. None of us know if we do. But if if the law of large numbers is any indication, we probably do based off of you know the fruit that people people produce. And so those people though, when they're going to church with you, is it up to you to distinguish between whether or not they're elect or not? Of course not. The answer is definitely no. We should be looking for fruit, but how do we who, who do we know is a part of the body of Christ? Well, it'd be his people. And who are his people? Those who've been baptized into Christ. And, and, so, and so I totally, I'm not disagreeing at all with what you're saying there, Leif, at all. But I think what the FB guys are trying to push out is this idea that, um, you know, like as Calvinists or as reform guys, we don't use that term Calvinist, but as reform guys, we have to deal with the idea of apostasy, and that's that's going to be point number four. Like, what do we do with apostasy? And and we're going to get to that in a second. But but the idea is, if if apostasy is a real thing, what are you apostatizing from? Something that you never were. So, so that well, that would be the argument. That'd be the counter argument. Something, but 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 if that was the case, then then you actually aren't apostatizing at all. You're just filling, revealing your true self. You're revealing what you've always been. So you actually aren't. So, so like John 15 says, those who are in Christ, I will, if they don't bear fruit, I will prune away. Mm -hmm. So I'm, the FB guys are just, they're, they're just trying to say like, let's wrestle with this topic. And they're, and they're all like, I, I've always found them to be overwhelmingly like, hey, we're not trying to say the last word on this. We're just trying to take some of these topics that, that we want to be able to take just all of the biblical passages on this. So like, he, we're going to get to Hebrews 6, or what we're talking about Hebrews, Hebrews 6 under apostasy. Hebrews 6 is like this this very, it, it almost sounds like there's somebody who's in, that's been saved, who have tasted and have seen the goodness of Christ, and yet they've fallen away, now there's no hope for them. It's like, what do we do with that? We've got, we've got to do something with it, and, and, and a lot of Reformed guys have tackled it, and well, much better than we'll be able to get to tonight. But the FB guys are just, they're, they're just trying to, they're, they're trying to, to, to work towards this. So on the next one is justification. This is the one that you guys probably will hear more than anything else. They'll say that federal vision denies the imputation of Christ, that, that they deny the imputation of Christ's, um, um, works. basically, the works. works. Yeah, exactly. So um, they deny that Christ was imputed for our sins and that we are therefore imputed with Christ's righteousness. I've never heard that talk. Um, but it's, it's important that you know that that's one of the things that they talk about. Under justification, he says... All those branded with the label Federal Vision emphatically embrace sola fide, justification by faith alone. What they have stressed, which has appeared to their opponents as a novelty or error, is that saving faith is a faith that perseveres and is also a faith that works by love. So, and maybe this is a conflation of justification and sanctification, but the FV guys take justification when you are saved by grace through faith, or by faith through faith through grace, when you're justified, that that justification leads to something. What does it lead to? Perseverance and good works. James says if you say you have faith but you have no works, your faith is dead. You don't actually have that faith. And so they're, they're really just kind of, from what I've heard, <coughs> leaning into that idea that when you're justified, you're justified unto these good works. But they get accused a lot of, accused a lot of denying the imputation of Christ. 
I'm not saying that none of them have, have ever said that. I've just never come. I've just never come across it. Um, uh, and then the final one there is apostasy. Um, and so we've got these warnings. You've got John 15. You've got Hebrews 6. You've got other warnings all throughout Scripture. One of the things that I thought was helpful in this is that they said, because Reformed preaching has often been worked through the grid of systemic, systematic theology in a rather rigid way, it is not unusual for scriptural warnings to be treated at arm's length. They are not considered to apply to the elect, and they do not do any good for the reprobate. So I thought... That's a really helpful thing to think about. If a, if a warning in Scripture against falling away has any meaning at all, can we really think that it doesn't have any, any, any importance to us as living, breathing Christians? Like, uh, so a lot of times uh, the, the case could be made that a Reformed Christian says, well, the elect are going to persevere anyway, so the warning doesn't apply to them. And the reprobate, those who are have been have been brought about for destruction, it's not going to do them any good either because they can't repent. So what's the point of the warning? F you guys once again are trying to say the warnings apply, we should listen to them, and that they and that they they matter. And when we apostatize, we're apostatizing from something. And they would say, You're not apostatizing from your elect state, you're not apostatizing from your elect nature. What you're apostatizing from is your covenant connection with Christ. And so this would be baptized Christians who have claimed faith in Christ, who have been brought into a, the Trinitarian covenant with Jesus through baptism and have walked away from that. They, they weren't elect unto salvation, um, but they were in some type of connection with Christ. And that connection is what they apostatize from. One last slide here, only four slides. FV is totally unique to the Reformed world. Most outside Reformed theology would not understand. Most outside um, Reformed theology would not understand why it was such a, why such distinctions were made. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes the Reformed world can be accused of pettiness, and I think that can can be true. Not always, but it can be true. Uh, I think a little bit of this FV stuff can be a little bit on the petty side. You know, the there's there's some people that get just so bent out of shape over it, and I think it can be a little bit. Uh, a little bit petty. I think that there's some really good concern that people make against it, and um, and I think that uh, they've made a lot of progress. Um, so within the Reformed world, FV has been controversial, but largely relegated to a denominational level of disagreement. So what I mean by that is that, so like take the OPC, uh, Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and take the CREC. Those two denominations, well, one denomination, the OPC, would look at the CREC and say, we don't think denominationally that we can, you know, really unify at a denominational level with you because of some of these things that some of you guys practice. Not everybody, but some of you guys practice. Um, but usually um, what happens is that the actual churches that are close to each other, the CREC, the OPC, the PCA churches that are with each other, within, you know, neighbors to each other, usually they have great relationships. So, so Dave was telling me about an OPC church that's close to them, how... At the denominational level, they don't necessarily see eye to eye, but in terms of just being neighbor churches, they get along great. They have just tons and tons of like-mindedness. Um, and, and I've even talked with our pastor at the um, OBPC church, the Olympia Bible Christian Church, about this because this is a concern to him. FV is a, is a concern to him. Um, and just how I've, I've made it clear that FV is, we're aware of it, but but 
FV, you know, em embracing federal vision theology or like declaring ourselves federal visionists or anything like that, that's not, that's not going to have anything to do with what we're doing as a church. Um, there, maybe there's going to be some, maybe there's going to be some things that are, that are, that, that are consistent with federal vision theology that, that are part of what we do. Um, you know, like maybe the fact that we let non-ordained ministers up there to preach or, or even laymen to preach. You know, maybe that's like a totally federal vision thing. I don't know. <laughs> it, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But, um, but ultimately, I think that it's, it's good to be aware of the controversy. And I, you guys can look into it. There, it's a rabbit hole. You'll never come back. Right. I mean, well, I'm like, hanging on <laughs> my windowsill in my office today, trying not to fall all the way in. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, there's some real, there's some real heavy hitters that are, are contra FB. Right. You know, you look at Mike Horton and R. Scott Clark and some of these other guys. That are R. Scott Clark, really I mean. Really sharp uh, cookies, man. They, they are, and yet but, but R. Scott Clark reminds me of a guy who never got out of the cage stage. Yeah. When he talks about FB, he just like, he seems to just like, yeah. I, I mean. I'm just saying. That, yeah, totally. You know, he teaches at Westminster. And, yep. And yep. There, there's a connection with the FB and the Westminster Confession. And, you know, some people really take some exception to that. Um, you know, I, I, part of me just looks at this stuff and goes, you know, why do we got to make such a mess of this? You know, and that to me, it's kind of a mess. Um yeah, I mean, even Wilson said it. He he doesn't refer to FV anymore. He right. may still hold to the tenets of it and the right. principles of it, but he's not. He doesn't subscribe to FV yep. the term anyway. Yep, exactly. And you know, the FV thing I think originated in 1973 with some guy down in Louisiana hmm. from some church down there, and he who used to teach at Westminster, and hmm. he got booted out of there, and was you know. The, reformed world was calling him a heretic and mm. all this and I was thinking okay you know it's just like you know the pre-trib rapture folks you know that started that, that was a new advent in the mid 19th century with Darby and right. now we got this guy doing this thing kind of just you know, making things fit in, in all this when you know when we talk about imputation it's not it's not his Christ's works that are imputed to us it's his righteousness just like our sin was imputed to him by God, God imputes Christ's right. righteousness upon those who put their faith and trust in, in, in God. Right. And so, I mean, I, it just it just grieves me because my head, you know, I thought you're gonna have to clean your office tonight, Joe. My head's about ready to explode with this stuff. It just grieves it me that we make it just so convoluted and so complicated. Based off of what you've read, and maybe for you, the other guys that have looked into this. Does this make sense, like, with the consistency that with what people are accusing it of and what people are trying to defend it as? What, what, what didn't make sense to me when I was looking into it is how, like Les was talking about, how they, how they would have ever drawn the conclusion that, there's, that, that we're in control of our salvation. Right. Like I, I don't I don't understand the critics. I, the critics, yeah. yeah. I, I don't I didn't get that. But one thing I did I, I guess I walked away with as a kind of just a general question. So the um, the format and maybe not in name, but in I guess in design there this the C R E C and this uh, this church that we're looking to plant here is the first time that I've ever heard of covenant renewal worship. Hmm. How old is that term? 
because I the reason I asked that is because I feel like uh, the a lot of the FV stuff does reinforce it, it acts it acts as a it acts as a, a boost to the validation of form uh, of, of, of uh, forming your Sunday services around that idea right so I guess which which came first <laughs> oh def I mean definitely covenant renewal has been has been something that's been I'm not certainly not an expert on it, but my understanding is that it's that's been something we've been doing for centuries. Okay. The federal vision as a as a terminology, whether it came from like was that Norman Shepard that they I were talking so. about? I think so. That sounds yeah. right, actually. So I I have not gone anything beyond prior to the, you don't the need 2002. To. You don't need to. <laughs> right. I, I do know that I I find I find a lot of the discussion fascinating, and I think that, I think the sad thing about it. Is the and I and I think I understand it. If people are are really thinking it's it's as dangerous as they say, the the reaction is has been so aggressive to it that um, I suppose that there's a sense in which you know if someone's up there preaching Arminianism, yeah, you wanna you wanna address it aggressively because that's not that's not biblical that's not biblical Christianity. It's 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 the way we all naturally think when we first get saved. It's it's. Arminianism is just this is just immature new 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 Christian immature thinking, and so and so that when the Reformed people are, are looking at the federal vision and they're and they're kind of losing their minds over it, I find that a little bit discouraging because it seems like it would be much more effective to engage with it from the standpoint of like okay we're not going to pull out the H word and call you a heretic <laughs> because I mean seriously we should we should really be careful to say that for when it applies. But but um, uh, I I also think that we should make sure that we're very careful to as as a as a mission church planting this. I mean, we I haven't even talked to Dave about it, like what his his take on it. But my my guess is the the FB or the like our pastor up in Olympia, he talks about this area of the country being the best of the CREC. He said that when you get down into the real deep south, some of the CREC churches down there. Some of this shows up more down there. So he said, in terms of presbyteries, this is the best. This is the best one to be in. Now he's he already is suspicious of the CRC to begin with. But I think we should maybe be careful to 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 not like try to align ourselves at all with the federal vision as a title because it's just like why is Doug Wilson not connected with it anymore? Because it it makes too many people lose their minds. You know, I it, it, and, and and I also think that he's seen. Certain areas in it that he's been that have been pointed out that have been maybe problematic because you have this whole spectrum of people's different opinions and, and theological convictions on this, and ultimately it comes down to like Doug, Doug Wilson got tired of saying, "Yeah, I, I I agree with federal vision." If by the federal vision you mean properly defined, and then you know he had to couch himself so much with these like, "I'm just going to be done with the terminology," and I. I'm I'm totally good at never using the term federal vision at all. But you know, having an answer for people when they you know, like we do not deny the imputation, we do not deny that that the the perseverance of the saints, we don't deny you know justification justification by faith alone. Exactly, those things are those are accused, and maybe some of the guys in here do deny those things. We don't. Uh, there there is and there is volumes of stuff out there. I mean, <laughs> reams of it. Right, I've just. Critical theory of, 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 mainly, of, or? of talking 
this FV non or anti-FV. This within the reform. It's insane how much stuff is out there. So this is this was written in 2007. Uh, if you read, there's a guy who's critical of the CREC, but very, very, very charitable. Um, his name is Stephen Wedgworth. His opinion of the Federal Vision FV in general is that it's it's not it's kind of run its course, and it's 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 not really going to be a thing anymore. If you want to know more directly from the horse's mouth, they wrote this in 2007. It's the Joint Federal Vision Statement, and a bunch of guys that were a part of the, the movement of the vision kind of signed onto it. Um, and Doug Wilson on there. Doug Wilson was on there. Yeah, um, there was a lot, a lot of guys <coughs> that were that were on it. Um, so you can find this online really easily, or I also printed off a copy if anybody wants to take it. Yeah. Can you can you text uh, or send us a link? Sure. Yeah. Why is this further. topic that I being discussed? I is it an issue in the CREC? Oh, you were gone. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Pater, Pater, uh, Pater said that he. Had, so funny. Yeah, Pater <laughs> said that he uh, he could get over this. <laughs> so he could get over this. He get over this, and right. we were like, getting over what? And we we're like federal vision, and he's like, I, and, and so we were all confused. Right. But it was apparently because he's part of the uh, OPC. OPC. Yeah. He's part of the OPC, which would. And I'm guessing that more CREC members or more CREC churches tend to adhere to a more federalist, uh, federal vision bent. And so for him, he was just letting us know that this was not an issue for him. <laughs> and then we're like, who is it issue for? Because yeah. we don't even know what this is. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was really funny. We cut off the interview. And they're like, so what do we think about Peter? And everybody's like, well, let's talk about the federal vision. Yeah. <laughs> What's that all about? <laughs> like true kingdom theology, when I mentioned that, I wonder if anybody had ever heard that. And maybe might go and Google it and go yeah. to YouTube videos yeah. and say, oh. Yeah. So in uh, the Wedgworth article or essay or whatever, yeah. he was saying that the CREC was probably the only mainline reform denomination that didn't completely... Uh, distance itself from the federal vision. Right. Do you know why that was? Um, probably because, uh, uh, like a large majority of the guys that were originally um, kind of proponents for this, um, are uh, they were part uh, either they were a part of the CREC or they become a part of the CREC. The CREC has has and, and this really bugs the pastor up in Olympia. He said he said that it bugs him that the CREC doesn't discipline its ministers on these issues, which, once again, I, I have yet to really come face to face with anybody that's a federal visionist who is, who is saying something that I would consider like heresy. I would definitely say like, wow, I've never thought about that particular thing before, or maybe they use the term regeneration in a way defined that I've never heard it defined before, because we think regeneration, we immediately think the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and now you have a life that's not leading to hell, but it's leading to eternity with Christ and the resurrection. But has regeneration always been used that way? And so there's a lot of nuance to the arguments, and I think the CREC has chosen not to, um, I mean, they. I, I think they've just chosen not to, to make as big of a, what I would consider kind of a hair-splitting ordeal over it. Um, and so if the federal vision is a deal-breaker for a reform. That's the thing is that for for most of us here, um, I don't want to speak for everybody, for, but for a lot of us, we would never think of like what you 
you are disagreeing with the Westminster Confession of Faith, you know, get out. You know, it's, it's like for most of us who have come from a more, a more general evangelical background, we're not necessarily all that confessional. And maybe that's to our detriment, but, but we don't think, we don't appeal to the Westminster Confession. We might appeal to Scripture and then, oh yeah, it looks like the Westminster says something about that too. But, we, but for Reformed people or for people in a certain style of Reformed theology, the confessions are like, um, they, they, they appeal to them in a way that maybe we would find a little bit um, odd. Um, and I, I know I sometimes do. Whenever anybody says, well, Westminster says this and London Baptist says that, or, you know, I, I always am kind of like, well, yeah, but what's their, what's their, what's their scripture texts for that? Go to the proof text. Go to the proof why, text. Why, are you arguing from, why are you arguing from the confession rather right. than the proof text? Right, and, and I think that there's tremendous benefit to arguing from a confession. I just never think that way. <laughs> That's just not the way I ever think. And so this seems, this seems strange because people are saying, no, that's not historic re reformational theology. And maybe some of us will be like, well, who, who cares if it's not re historic? Is it biblical or not? Are we? How many covenants do you, when you think of covenant, how many covenants do you think? Oh, good, good trivia question. So let's see, debit covenant. Well, I mean, just the covenant of redemption, right? Covenant, uh -huh. covenant of works. Yeah, so it starts. Covenant of grace. Doesn't it start off with covenant of works? Because um, I, I thought the covenant of works. Well, I'm just, well, the okay. reason I'm asking is yeah. in, in my reading and trying to focus on some of that. I know that there was some aspects of this maybe early on that's, that morphed into something more, maybe more quote-unquote reasonable, that there's only one covenant, period. Mm. period. And they were they made a case for that. Oh, okay. So when, you know, so it's kind of like some of the dispensational stuff where you've, you've got these you've got Schofield and all these guys uh, historic dispensational, and then, it, and then it morphed into something else and now you've got, uh, like, I think Daryl Bach and some of these other guys from DTS who are progressive dispensationalists so that are a little bit more reasonable, maybe, okay. from, our, from a reform point of view. So I think that's some of the stuff that's happened with, with this right. stuff here, too. Sure. It kind of started out maybe maybe borderline aberrant or something, and then kind of right. got more, yeah. okay, we need to massage this into something right. that's yeah. in line with this. And then here we are. But um, right. anyway, it's good to be aware of it. But but I I mean, if anybody was come to come to our church and be worried about it, yeah, it's like this is we're not looking like well, what's the federal vision position on this? Like we're not. That's not. Like we our, we could just share this recording. And say we didn't even know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, we claim ignorance. Here, take the CD home. Grab a twelve pack of beer. Well, I, I think I do think though that I mean. I, the, the goal of it sounded like they were trying to come up with a systematic way of reconciling some of the more challenging pieces of scripture as it pertains to the doctrine of election. Yeah, and, like that's, and that's perseverance. And perseverance, mm -hmm. right? That, that, was the, that was the big thing because that ultimately, and I, I guess I kind of, kind of appreciate that because that's ultimately those two areas that get, the perseverance is the one that gets attacked by the Arminian. Yeah. Right. Yep. I mean, they, you know, they, they, so so it's I, I can kind of understand like okay, we want to address like you said Hebrews six. It's like right. well, we want to address why you know what are you falling away from right. right? 
the concern that I, I guess I had with the federal vision, and again, I think this is a splitting hairs thing. Right. The concern I had is, well, are we just trying to come up with an answer for something right. that seems like a logical, a, a, a right. logical extension to deal with a mystery that we just don't get? Right. Like that's kind of that. That was kind of my like general takeaway yeah. from it. <laughs> I, I kind of think the federal vision is one of those things that probably became a much bigger deal because of all the protest around it. It's kind of like the Barbra Streisand effect. Sure, <laughs> yeah. Like, started, yeah. Oh, it's, this, is, this is super naughty theology. Nobody should look into this at all. And then everybody was like, looks looking into it, like, oh, I know why. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to know, like, if, if Doug Wilson was strongly attached to Federal Vision or if the CREC was strongly attached to Federal Vision, yeah. people are questioning it. Yeah. It's like, okay, why? What is that about? What do we know? What is our stance? You know? Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's going to be connected up with CRC more than other denominations, that's for sure. All right. Um, in this joint vision, federal, federal vision statement, it says, um, the statements represent the views of those who drafted it, contributed to it, and signed it. It should not be taken as a confessional statement by any ecclesiastical assembly or body, particularly the CREC. There are things stated here which do not represent the views of the CREC as a whole, or of certain CREC's minister in, CREC ministers in particular. The CREC is not an FV denomination, but is rather a confederation which welcomes convictions like these as being within the Reformed pale. This statement therefore represents the views of the CREC, of the CREC men who signed it and represents what the CREC men who could not sign it believed to be within the realm of acceptable differences. It should be further noted that not all the signatures are from the CREC. So, CREC is kind of a, a, a bigger player with people who who agree publicly with the FV, with Federal Vision, but it's it's not a CREC doctrine. It's not a CREC denominational doctrine. And like Les was saying, Doug Wilson back in 2017, so four years ago, said, I'm not even, <laughs> I'm, I'm done with, because he's got a book on uh, the Auburn Avenue theology, because uh, that's what it was originally called before it was called the Federal Vision, is Auburn Avenue. And it's a three hundred thousand word book, <laughs> and you know, and it's basically all of the blog posts that he has written over the years on FV, and so he's he's tried to he's tried to kind of make peace with with people within the Reformed world on this, saying, hey, yeah, this is not your conviction, but you can still be within the Reformed world and have these convictions without being called a heretic, and so I think he's just well four years ago said, okay. I think we need to move on from the federation terminology entirely. And, um, so, okay. Um, thank you guys for uh, listening to me struggle through that. Like I like I told you, you're probably um, more confused by it now than when I started. But hopefully, hopefully we can at least look at that and and know that Christ Covenant Church here in Centralia, Washington, is not a federal vision church. Nor are we going out there trying to explicitly, you know push federal vision theology and and so guys like Peter who have a problem with it can joyfully come and serve as pastor if, if that's the Lord's will without having to worry like uh, are you guys going to make me sign, sign on to federal vision so Peter if you're listening Peter <laughs> um, yeah that sounds good and cool thanks, and thanks for yeah, yeah. Thanks taking for the time to give us a yeah. brief synopsis of that um Quickly before we close, next week, what um, is there particular particular topics that you guys feel like we should be 
really tackling that we haven't tackled yet. I think it'd be good just to take a break from the women and women in worship thing, just kind of clear our heads a little bit, but but then definitely come back to it, not leave it out there. Um, well, some of the new folks, do we want to, uh, I mean, not, not that we need to revisit everything, but do we want to kind of take an opportunity to talk through some of the memorial stuff again? Sure. Yeah, we could look through the memorials for sure. I mean, uh, we could actually even just kind of look through all the memorials throughout throughout next Thursday and not any one particular one, but just as things come up that people, unfortunately, we end up kind of having to pick out the things we disagree with because largely we agree with most of the things yeah. that are being said here. So it's kind of like, well, you know, that statement on women in uniform, I disagree with that. Okay. Yeah, we all do. You know, that, that kind of thing. So I, I'd be good with that. Um, we could look at eschatology as well, you know, kind of revisit some eschatology discussions. Um, uh, we could uh, spend 10, 12 minutes about, on that. Yeah. What about communion, too? Yes. That's, that's a big one. Where, you know, there's so many different views and how it's regulated. How often do you take it? Is it yep. you know, distributed by somebody? Is it yep. free for all? Is it, you know, uh, right? Yeah, and that, that was one of the beasts with the Federal Vision folks, too. Is paid communion. Right. That's a big. That was a big beef with them. Yep. Yeah, it was. Oh, in that they. In that, you know, Paul seems to indicate in First uh, Corinthians that. Eleven. You know, you should. Discern the body. You need to search yourself before you. Right. You know, and all of that, and um, they they don't think they don't think a three year old's able to do that. Right. I would. Okay. So, so, and so anyway, and, oh, and, and so most, they, most going, going back to what Leif's bringing up. It's, oh yeah, yeah, right. You know, okay. Uh, just that's probably that's probably a really good. You guys want to do communion next too. week? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a good one. I like okay. that. Yes. I like that better than the ideas I threw out there <laughs> a lot. <laughs> okay, that's that's good. We'll we'll uh, we'll have to have new ideas. Good. Thank you, Leif. <laughs> Yeah, because, yeah, there, I mean, there's definitely some unique things about CRC churches in communion. And they're, they're, generally, they're generally things like baptism, like the, the baptism debate. Can credo-baptists and pedo-baptists get along? Well, at the CRC, they can. Uh, as long as the credo-baptists can, can look at the pedo-baptists and the pedo-baptists can look at the credo-baptists and, and acknowledge that each one is genuinely holding their convictions to the glory of Christ, and you know, and they're both legitimate positions to hold. Um, that that'll be kind of something similar with uh, with the communion talk. So yeah, let's let's plan on let's plan on doing communion. Not doing communion, but talking about. <laughs> Tell Elizabeth we'll need some unleavened yeah, cookies right. next week. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. And, and please thank your wife. For the, oh, these, I will. These are wonderful. Yeah, they're really good. There you go. I appreciate the prayer. So yeah, Andrew, do you want to close us in prayer and? Sure. Lift yeah. your brother, brother Les as well. Yeah. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to gather and to fellowship with uh, men that desire to seek to do your will and to uh, do what is right in your sight and that have passion for, uh, for uh, just a, a, a Sunday worship service a lord's day worship service that is pleasing to you mm-hmm. and lord I, uh, I i thank you that our discussion today was uh, was hearty and that we were able to get through the uh, the agenda that we had here um to be able to just kind of address 
some some things that were maybe not known enough about. And uh, anyway, I, Lord, I want to lift up less, Father. Uh, you are you are sovereign over all things, and you um, you know how to minister to the body and how to uh, how to how to heal, Lord. You are a healer. And so we would just pray that if it is your will that you would work uh, with, uh, within the, the, the docks there to just handle, uh, handle the medical procedures um, with precision and to eliminate the cancer uh, that, has, that has spread, Lord. So we would just, uh, we would just pray that uh, over less and that you would, that you would do that. Mm-hmm. Father, as we go about the rest of our... Uh, our week and we finish up here, uh, I pray that you would uh, bless us with opportunities to share the good news of the gospel with those around us. I pray that you would enable us to uh, to do work that is glorifying and honoring to you and that we would uh, be a, a blessing to our families and we would be Christ to our wives. In your son's name, amen. 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 Thank you.